Hello, Cachimbonas. Hello, hello, hello. I am so excited to finally be bringing you a new episode in this year of our Lord 2023. You probably noticed that I took a slight hiatus from publishing episodes for the public because I've had quite a stressful time um, over the holidays and in the first three months of this new year, I'm currently trying to pivot and figure out what I wanna do with my career, with my day job. And I had to put the podcast on a bit of a back burner while I was doing that. But now it seems like the clouds have cleared I think I have a path forward and it involves trying to make podcasting a more significant part of my income. That is where you, dear listeners, come in. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash Radio Cachimbona. If you become a patron for three, five or ten dollars a month, you will get exclusive access to the lit reviews, which are actually some of my favorite content. It's discussing timely books with fierce women of color. And there's always gems of knowledge that are shared during the lit reviews. You will also get early access to episodes. So I mentioned that I took a hiatus from publishing episodes for the public, but the Patreons did get a few episodes during this time because I work really hard to give them constant high quality content. I know that times are hard financially, but if you can find three, five or $10 a month to spare, it would help support this indie podcast and make it so that I can consistently every week or every two weeks put out content for y'all and I really want to continue doing that. I'll put the link in the show notes and you all can join and become a part of the Patreon community that way. If you heard what I was saying about wanting to support this indie podcast and you're like, yes, I need to give it to have more content, you need to have more time to interview folks and bring that critical analysis, but you don't have the coins right now, which I totally understand. Another 100% free way to support the podcast is to leave an Apple podcast rating and review. Hey, thanks to the 230 folks that have reviewed me and given me 4.5 stars on Apple Podcasts. It's because of y'all that someone on the Apple podcast editing team found this little podcast and featured us. Spotify also has a rating system. It really does help, so please do it. Oh, and also follow Radio Cachimbona at Radio Cachimbona on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That's where you can find episode updates, conversations continuing from the podcast there. Thank you all so, so much, Cachimbonas. I hope that you enjoy this episode. This is a special collab interview episode that I did with Carlos Guadron of the Salvis Unidos podcast. We were both featured by Apple Podcasts for Latinx Heritage Month back in September, and I was shocked that I had never even heard of this amazing New York-based podcast. So I reached out because sometimes it really does feel like we're the only two Salvis podcasting, or <laughs> that's what it felt like when I first found out about Carlos being featured on Apple Podcasts Latinx Heritage Month list. 
So we sat down and we shared our histories of podcasting, what brought us to podcasting, what our larger visions are for these two projects, Radio Cachimbona and Salvis Unidos. And we had a really rich conversation about the need for both explicitly political spaces and also social and cultural spaces. Not that those two things need to be mutually exclusive. You know, he just kind of shared why he's kept that project in some ways apolitical. And we talked about how there's such a need for Salvi-focused content that we need all of it. We need the explicitly political and we need the social and cultural as well. Um, Carlos shared about how hard it is to find Salvi's in New York. Um, I talked about how there's also a dearth of Salvi's in Arizona. But we're still here making ourselves known in these Latinx hubs that aren't particularly known for having strong Salvadoran populations and making our voices heard anyway. Um, this was a really, really meaningful episode for me. We're cross-posting this episode on my feed and also on Carlos's Salvi's Unidos feed. So check his podcast out. And I hope that you all enjoy this episode 29 of season five of Radio Cachimbona. Carlos, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to, to be here. And I was super excited to see that we got some Central Americans in the Apple Podcast TBH collection. So yes. excited all around. So when exactly did you start Salvis Unidos? So Salvis Unidos is um, more than a podcast. We are a social networking group in New York City. So that part of it, that aspect of it started before the podcast started. And that was at the end fall of 2018. And through it, I got to meet through the events we had in New York City. We're based out of New York City. I met so many cool Salvadorans and I've always wanted to do a podcast. So the podcast just kind of grew organically out of that. And I started working on it in early 2019. And I think I released the first episode the summer of 2019. So like July-ish. Oh, wow. That's really awesome. When you did the meetups, how did you convince people to get together? <laughs> <laughs> great, uh, great question. Yeah. You know, it started out of um, a very simple encounter. At the time, I had just moved back to New York City. I had been living outside the city for 10 years, actually. And I had just moved back and I wanted to connect with local Salvadorans. I wanted to connect with people my age, but it was always on the back of my mind. But then at work, one day I saw a coworker. She had a t-shirt that said, Loroco, Chicharron, something like that. It was like mm -hmm. the ingredients. I think I'm sure people have seen that black and white t-shirt online. And I was like, oh, cool, sure. But then it just hit me and I, wait a second, are you Salvadoran? And she was like, yeah, <laughs> are you? And I was like, yeah. And then we both started like shouting in the kitchen, you know, in the break room, like, wow, and started hugging. <laughs> and then like, there was someone else in there with us. And they were like, what's going on? Are you, <laughs> what is this? But I love telling that story because it just goes to show, at least for New Yorkers, for Salvadoran New Yorkers, how excited you are to meet another Salvadoran, especially another Salvadoran your age, because it is such a rare occurrence. So I figured after that little incident, like if we're this excited, then there must be other people that want to connect like this. And I threw together a small happy hour, just invited some friends, invited her. We invited just the Salvadorans that we knew. And at the time, I was just starting to connect with people in the Twitter, not the Twitter space, the Instagram space, uh, Salvadoran accounts, and follow this account, Cipotes, who at the time had about 70K followers. So I invited the guy that runs that to the happy hour, and he posted it on his um, 
on his uh, on his account, and it got thousands of likes, you know, hundreds of comments, people like super excited about it. And I was kind of afraid it was going to grow into a really huge thing when I really meant it to be like, you know, six, 10 people, but it turned out very manageable. People just showed up and, you know, people that I personally knew showed up, but it was also awesome to see people that had no clue who they were. They just saw the posting online and they just showed up and we just spent a couple of hours in this Midtown bar just talking about being Salvadoran and being disconnected from our culture and the difficulty in speaking mm -hmm. Spanish and the difficulty in the way the media portrays us and just feeling so refreshed that everyone just got it. You know, there's just, mm -hmm. it felt like you were around family. So it wasn't too hard to convince people to show up, uh, but once we did, we knew it was something special. That's really awesome. And that's something that resonates with me in starting Radio Cachimbona is that Salvadorans and I would say Central Americans more broadly are so hungry for positive representation. They are so hungry for nuanced discussions about our culture, our history, our politics. And it's something that when you find it, you jump up and down like you and your coworker did in the break room. Like, oh my God, you're also Salvadoran and you're also interested in these things. I know you've mentioned that you kind of try and stay away from the political aspects of of Salvadoran history mm -hmm. and contemporary life. How do you do that? Yeah, yes. So it's it's actually not that hard. So the reason for this being is when I moved back to New York, I looked for existing organizations, um, networking groups. I just figured this is New York City, right? We have everything. There has to be Salvadoran cultural groups. There just has to be. So I looked and I started reaching out to people on Instagram and I just found nothing. But what I did find were little pockets of Salvadoran um, comites, like little, it wasn't necessarily political, sometimes it was political, sometimes it was like aid to a certain canton or small town in El Salvador. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I, I would, you know, I would join one of those. But then the more I learned about them, the more I learned that they didn't work together. And like, in fact, they all kind of didn't like each other and kind of had this anim animosity between them. I thought to myself, I don't have a strong connection to a small town in El Salvador like that. But even if I did, like, I would want to work together with other groups. And I don't want the quote unquote politics to divide us as Salvadorans, especially in New York. We are divided as it is. Like, we don't find other people, other Salvadorans. So once I started the meetup group, I decided to make it politically agnostic. Now, that doesn't mean like we don't talk about politics or politics aren't included in the discussions that we have, but it means they're not the focus and nobody will be rejected due to their political views, which is something I saw happening in these other groups um, that would have these what looked like really amazing events. And I just um, felt so sad that not everybody was welcome because they had a different political view or even like just didn't agree with the views that this one group, these particular groups had. So I wanted to kind of avoid that and wanted to kind of bring everyone together in a place where all are welcome with any views are welcome. That's why I named the group Salvis Unidos. It's not that we uh, or that I'm like try to specifically avoid politics. I just don't center it. For one example, I can give you um, last year during the summer, we did a bike ride event. So we rode about 20 something miles around New York City from Central Park down to Brooklyn and Queens. We ended up at a pupuseria called Salvatoria out in Astoria, Queens. And there was a lot of people that came that, especially at the time, there was a lot, well, there's always been a lot of talk about Bukele, right, since he took office. And many people wanted to discuss that with other Salvadorans, and they did during the ride, during the, the you know, 
the happy hour or meal at the end of the ride. Um, and they got into some pretty cool discussions about it, but it was never the purpose of the the ride itself. It wasn't the purpose of the meetup. And I just think that's, at least for people in New York, I know it might be different for other areas in, in the US and in the world. I know for New York, it's very important to try to include as many people as possible because the diversity that we have of Salvadorans in New York City, I mean, just general diversity of Salvadorans, we have such differing political views uh, yeah. We've been affected by traumas differently. Mm -hmm. um, and I just do not want to be like, oh, you think this way? No, you can't be with us. I want all of us to be comfortable talking about how we feel and what we think. Yeah. And I think that there's room for multiple Salvadoran affinity organizations. I don't see anything wrong with a group that does put political organizing at its forefront there are a lot of like when you said comité, I thought of the of CISPES and the comités mm -hmm. that were established in solidarity with Salvador, like post Civil War. And I think that there's a space for that. And it's kind of funny to me that you're like we planned this bike ride, and people ended up having a really multifaceted discussion about Bukele because I just feel like being Salvadorian it is political, you know, in and of itself. And that, but at the same time, that doesn't mean a group like yours, which doesn't put politics at the forefront, isn't also productive or good um, for us as a community. And I definitely hear you about needing to be politically agnostic to even get a threshold of people to join and be able to say, oh, this is a thriving community. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, C-Space exists in New York as well. And there is, you know, a wide range of or, or just a, a variety of uh, politically focused organizations centered on El Salvador or Central America. If you want to join that, go and join that. Even if you are from that, you can come to Savi Sunil's events and speak about it. But I think we do need to have a space for everybody to feel comfortable in and not feel afraid. Um, I can tell you that most of Salvadorans that come to the Savi Sunil's events lean one way. And I'll let you guess, it's probably what everyone mostly assumes Salvadorans lean toward. But I've had certain people, you know, speak Wait, to I me. I actually don't know what that is, actually. Are you saying they're leftists or rightists? Yes, leftists. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, because actually, I mean, there are a lot of conservatives in the Salvadorian diaspora. Like, my family holds a lot of conservative views. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, not absolutely. I feel like it's kind of maybe divided around age lines, but I, I don't have any hard data about that. But yes, the older generations uh, sites seem to be more conservative, whereas like younger millennials, centennials seem to be more leftists. But that seems to be the majority of people that that show up. But I've had have people approach me privately and say like, oh, you know, my father was actually in the military or like my dad or uh, was recruited as a child, you know, soldier or whatever. And I'm afraid to say speak of it because of the understandably one-sided, the military's evil kind of rhetoric we hear in Salvadoran politics, which there's absolutely good reason to yeah. uh, have that view. But, you know, if your father got a gun pointed at him and said, you got to join or we'll kill your family, then I think people should be able to speak about that without being, you know, talked down to because your mm -hmm. family took part in the military. So it, it gets complicated yeah. very fast. Definitely. That's why I appreciate that. I feel like you're not trying to take politics out of your group meetups. You're just trying to create a brave space where people can talk about these difficult issues and where there can be nuanced conversations from people who do have differing perspectives and experiences. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, 
politics is pervasive, like you said. It, it kind of goes yeah. hand in hand with being Salvadoran. Now you you can really just say no matter where you're from, it is part of life, and it becomes very hard to escape sometimes. And you know, with social media, um, depending on the kind of channels you follow, um, it gets very difficult to escape on a day to day basis. I mean, I think it's nice to have a space where we can come in, take a breather, and not worry about polarizing you know, opinions or sides or arguments and just be like, you know what? I just want to talk about how much I like or don't like pupusas just for a second mm-hmm. without having the onus on us on us of like this entire, you know, 500 years plus of history that we'll, we'll carry on our backs. Yes, I love that because I think that we as Salvadorans deserve levity as well. You know, we deserve to laugh. We deserve to have good food. We deserve to reminisce about our trips to El Salvador as kids. You know, we deserve like sharing what our favorite spots are. We deserve sharing funny family stories. That is what we deserve. And especially you mentioned at the beginning that part of your impetus for meeting up and part of that hunger for having a Salvador meetup is that you don't want it be essentialized. And there's like frustrations with how the media portray us and especially with Donald Trump I think he was the master at essentializing Salvadorans. And, you know, the focus from the media is always on trauma. And even like a lot of our, a lot of our best literature is trauma informed, it's trauma inspired Mm -hmm. by the Mm -hmm. civil war. And that is not all that we are. We are multidimensional people. Oh, I'm the other thing I think of is Joan Didion's work, um, Salvador, which, which, you know, incorrectly named the country that she was ostensibly writing about. And it was just like. Fears the nature of the place, I think the quote is, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I love that you're doing bike rides so people are active and you're doing happy hours where people can talk about Loroco and pupusas. Do they like them? Do they not? Because we deserve that as well. And I am a very political person. The Radio Cachimona is an unapologetically political project. But at the same time, I make time for interviews like this. I make time to highlight stuff like this because we deserve that as well. We deserve to have that levity. And especially like for folks who are living in areas where there aren't as many Central Americans, where there aren't as many Salvadorans, we do want some of that connection. Like I moved away from the Bay Area and live in Tucson, Arizona now. And there's, I don't have family here. And so I'm like the lone Salvadoran here. And I would love if there was like a Salvius Unidos Tucson. Like I would go to that. And I think that it's important to have all of these spaces, to have the political spaces and also to have the cultural spaces. And yeah, I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks. I, I appreciate that. And, and you know, this is a this is a really big world. I'm always the opinion that, um, you know, politics isn't everything. Does it permeate everything? Yes. Does, is it hard to escape? Yes. Is going to define the smallest things of your life? Yes. But like there's a lot of things that are outside of politics, like the way a rose smells, the way it feels yeah. to smell burning leña when you land in El Salvador, you know, like this is oh, this is kind of like at the real hard to grasp stuff that is outside of politics that make the world worth living in. And it makes life beautiful. And I think we have a lot of that in El Salvador. A lot of people do, you know, just the world itself does. And I think if we don't add space for that, I think we're missing out. But I think Mm -hmm. it's such a big world. 
we can have a hybrid political podcast. We can have a completely anti-political podcast and everything in between. I don't think we have to limit ourselves. You know, why limit ourselves? Yeah, exactly. And that's why I like found it so refreshing that we were both featured on the Latina diaspora section of the TBH culture section for Apple Podcasts because, yes, like we are complex and multifaceted. We are political and we also are talking about all these other things you just mentioned. And that's important, you know, like with mm-hmm. when there's a dearth of representation, I feel like a lot of times people, ex- like if one type of representation pops up, people like expect you to be so grateful and so happy. And there's even within the community, there's sometimes pushback to critiques or to saying like, okay, that's like one type of representation, but I want this other kind. And I love that Salvadorans aren't accepting just a one-dimensional type of representation. We're not accepting a one-dimensional group gathering. We have all of these ways in which we are being Salvadoran. It's, it, I, I just think it's, it's like operating from a place of abundance instead of scarcity. We can have all of these things. And that's a good for us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, there's no, an, also another dimension of that. It's like the fact that some people just don't know. And even if they want don't have the knowledge, I'm sure through you know your own studies and interviewing so many people, you've amassed a wealth of knowledge about El Salvador. And I've done something similar on my side. But I have friends who told me stories of growing up. Someone would ask them, where is El Salvador on a map? And they wouldn't know. Right. You know, They just wouldn't know. And it's like, that's very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, they should not feel embarrassed about claiming their Salvadoranness because, you know, they shouldn't be embarrassed if they don't have this information or they don't have this political view or they shouldn't feel like they're excluded in this political space or in this cultural space because they don't have a good understanding of it. And I think we have to acknowledge those people as well that people yeah. just are just, you know, for whatever reason, are, have been just not lucky enough to grow up in an area with parents or with resources where they can learn that stuff. Um, yeah. There's a lot of people like that out there. I'll be honest, I'm one of those people <laughs> because, <laughs> because I grew up in the Bay Area and there are there are other Salvadorans there. There are other Central Americans there, but I grew up in a very specific beach town called Pacifica and it was mostly white. In my middle school class, there was like one or two other Latinx kids and we were all lumped together and they weren't, they were not Salvadoran. And I feel like my parents did impart a lot of knowledge about El Salvador onto me, but there was huge gaps, even just in their own knowledge, because my parents, well, because the education system in El Salvador is, is not a great one, and it doesn't, I think, do a good job of teaching its own pupils about Salvadoran culture and history. That's honestly what I think prompted a lot of my focus on El Salvador and Central America is really just a desire for myself to fill in those knowledge gaps. My parents provided me with some things, but I definitely had to go out and find these things and like learn for myself. And I definitely think going to college and being exposed to Latinx studies pointed me in the right direction to be able to self-study this stuff. But it's important to be empathetic with people who, for whatever reason, have not yet had that thing that catalyzes their knowledge about El Salvador. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I went to school and I didn't, um, 
there was a Latin history or Latin history department at my school, but I was an engineer. So, mm. you know, the core curriculum was very focused on math and science and engineering because it was just so much stuff you had to know to graduate. So there was no space for any anything else at all. So I did not get the chance to do that during college, but I was still try to find resources. And at the time when I was in college, I found very, very little online. And my parents either didn't know or were not willing to share the knowledge with me, which is right. very common. You know, my parents yes. didn't, my dad didn't graduate high school. I think my mom did, but they didn't go beyond that. There was no opportunity for them to go beyond that. And one mm-hmm. thing I realized, like we think the U.S. education system is bad and teaching yeah. false stories about Thanksgiving and stuff. You know, you can imagine <laughs> oh, what the yeah. Salvadoran education system is because it was under a oligarchy supported mm-hmm. military dictatorship for decades. Yeah. And the history that they told was definitely not the full and complete thing. And that's yeah. the only access we're talking about a time period without the internet, um, maybe not even public right. libraries. That's what our parents grew up in. And, you know, I hear my mom and parents and other like Salvadorans of their age talk about certain stuff about the war during the war. And I'm like, no, that's not exactly correct. But I can't blame them for that because they only had one source of information and that yeah. is state-sponsored media. Yeah. Like, good luck getting a New York Times down there and good luck if you could even read English. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I totally empathize with people that um, I just feel lost in Salvadoran history and Salvadoran information because it is not easy to come by. It's a generational mm-hmm. issue that hopefully we'll start closing that gap. Yeah, I think that like you and I are making strides in providing some of that content for folks, but we need more. You know, And that's why I just I feel like that just to reference our earlier conversation that's why we shouldn't be shutting down different Salvadoran gatherings because there is such a dearth of knowledge. And so many of us are in similar situations where like you and I, where we're really just trying to understand our own history. Yeah. I think, I think that's just mm-hmm. really important mm-hmm. for us to stay committed to. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I I hope the combined efforts of our podcast give people at least, you know, a small guiding light to Mm -hmm. find more information or to pique that interest. You know, you don't have to be the be all end all, but just enough to be like, oh, what what did they say? You know, like, Mm -hmm. can I look that up? And we definitely need, like you said, a wealth. We need everyone everywhere with all kinds of opinions, making podcasts about all kinds of things. That's the only way we'll learn. That's the best way to learn is to, you know, have a lot of like different viewpoints. It's really how you should conduct your own research. But um, we don't have as much resources out there for Salvadorans as we'd like to. But I would definitely love to see more people create more things. Actually, one of the episodes that I really appreciated from your podcast was the Salvies Around the World Mm. Did you do two segments with that? I did, yes. One was, there was two episodes, uh, so it was the two-part finale. Uh, one was all stories in Spanish, and the other one, second one was all stories in English. Mm. Yeah, I just appreciated that because it highlighted how far-reaching the diaspora is, even in places where you wouldn't expect, like England <laughs> or yeah. Australia. And yeah. Isn't it um, wild hearing uh, both <laughs> Spanish and English and like Australian UK accents? Yes, yes. And the connecting thread always, honestly, from all those was still like this same hunger for knowledge of self and history and identity. And that's kind of the uniting thing amongst us, the Salvadorans. And I really appreciate that you recorded all of those different perspectives because 
is that's a counter narrative to that essentialization that I was talking about earlier, where we're depicted as like one dimensional, unaccompanied minors full of trauma. And that those are stories that are important and worth highlighting, but they're not the only stories out there Correct. of us. Correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What motivates you to stay committed to podcasting, considering it actually doesn't pay much and takes a lot of time? Actually, this is our second rescheduled interview because I had to work during our last scheduled time. Um, we both have day jobs and it's really hard, honestly, to stay committed <laughs> to doing this. And what motivates you to, to stay committed to it? Yeah. So not only does it not pay much, it costs money to make. So <laughs> right, it's definitely right. a cost center. Yeah. It's difficult at times. I'll definitely be hundred percent honest and say that it is very difficult. It is a difficult job to do. So I commend you for that. And any other podcasters listening to this right now, props to you guys, props to everyone, because podcasting is a very difficult job. Um, it takes a lot of effort if you want to put out uh, quality content, mm -hmm. you know, researching, recording, editing, creating all the social media assets, all that stuff takes work. I've had to learn so many new skills that you just never expect. And it is hard to stay motivated, but... Honestly, like once the finished podcast is out and I listen to it from like, try to put myself away from it and say, you know what, this interview was really good. This person gave like really good information. Like this is the kind of content I would want to find out there. It's invigorating, but I would say maybe that's not the whole thing that makes you motivated. When you get like little things here and there, people telling you, and sometimes you get reviews, sometimes you get little comments, but sometimes most of the time what I get is like, DMs where people say like, I love this, or I found this out, or I made this connection, or I did this, or I'm working on a story right now for um, one of the stories that was featured in a Salvadorans Around the World podcast where someone was able to find some long lost family through it. Wow. And that was, yeah, yeah. You know, I was thrown back. Like I thought, you know, you're, I'm just sitting here in front of my right. screen, just mm -hmm. editing. All right, get it out, get it out on time. And you think, ah, you know, nobody's listening, even though I can see the numbers that is being downloaded. It's just yeah. hard. Like, it's not the same it as is. being in a room full of people, right? I know. Even if, like, 10 people download it, it's such a different thing from seeing a little 10 on the screen to being in a room full of 10 people listening to you, right? And it's been, like, these this unexpected just kind of feedback, personal feedback that I get. Like, hey, your podcast had an impact that makes me feel like, you know what? It is hard. It does take a lot of sacrifice. I have to sacrifice, you know, personal things and career things, money to be able to put this out. But it's out there and it's permanent. And maybe it'll help somebody discover themselves or discover something about themselves. And I think that's what drives me, you know, in spite of, of how much effort putting out a podcast takes. Yeah, I think that this is kind of it's like the beauty, but also a bit of a burden of being Salvadoran. It's like, because there is no, there's so little content out there for us. Like a lot of times you just have to create it yourself. No one else is going to talk about the experience of being Salvadoran in New York, or like no one else was doing that before. And no one's definitely talking about the experience of being Salvadoran in Tucson. And mm. these are all critical things to document. That's personally what motivates me. It's, knowing that if we don't say anything, then our opinions, our experiences, our perspectives won't get recorded. And I do think about who will listen to this eventually. And, and like you said, I hope that my stuff can help someone discover something about themselves in the way that I wanted to be able to discover something about myself 
way back in the day when I first started learning about Assemble and its history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I just found the title of my book, The Beauty and Burden of Being Salvador. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Just credit me, Carlos. Just credit I will, me, though. Of course. <laughs> Introduction by Ibe Borja. Yeah. Yes, the foreword. I love that. Um, but yeah, I, I think you nailed it. There is both, like, we can't escape it. It is difficult being Salvadoran. You know, not just forget all the external prejudice and, you know, uh, working, trying to dig yourself out of the middle class or, I mean, middle class, uh, lower class or poverty, whatever, whatever you want to, you know, all the challenges you have, even outside of all of that, is carrying that burden of being Salvadoran and having to dig for information to figure out who you are, who your family is, why they're here. And at the same time, knowing like the beautiful country we come from, the beautiful culture we come from, it's just like one of those things in life. You can't have one without the other. But maybe in the future, through our podcast and through other people's podcasts, we can alleviate some of that burden for future generations. Yes, that's really what I hope to try and do. Who is your ideal bucket list guest? Hmm, you know... Every season, I start out with a long list of people I want to interview, and um, sometimes I get all of them, sometimes I don't. Um, sometimes I aim high and aim for media personalities or you know slightly famous people, savvy famous people, and I don't always get them, understandably so. Sometimes they're behind a manager or, or a publicity agency. Man, but like if I could, man, I don't know. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to to say. Um, there's just so many people, and every time, like I find, I just keep finding more and more guests. But if I had to narrow it down to one person, I would have to say he goes on Instagram by Space Prince Julio. Um, oh. He is comedian. He's a comedian. He lives in New York City. He's Salvadoran. He has a series on HBO called Los Spookies. Um, what? Wait, that's a Salvadoran creator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? I forget his you just last changed name. Changed my life. Yeah, yeah, he that show so, is so funny. <laughs> it is. I I love like I've never been a fan of horror. I love, but like it's like his, fu- it's like funny. Yes, I love. I don't love horror. I love spooky. Like that whole like genre where it's like it is horror, right? But it's like like B, um, what do you call it? B film horror, like kind of like campy, but so funny. Yes. That show so good, and it's like it allows you to love horror genre without having to be scared. And you know, I just think yes. it's just so amazing. Yeah. But yes, he's um he's Salvadoran. I think he lives here in Brooklyn. Um, and I tried to get him for one of the past seasons, and I was able to dig up some contacts and reach out to him. But I think it was during when he was about to start filming the second season, Los Los Spookies, and I think uh, it probably just fell through. But you know, I won't give up. I'll keep reaching out. Maybe I'll run into him in a cafe in New York. You never know. But that he would be awesome to have on. And I think part of the reason is because. I don't know if his views have changed, but looking at interviews that he's done and stuff he's posted, he has this this idea where like he's Salvadoran, but he doesn't feel like he should be the example of Salvador of Salvadoran. You know, like mm-hmm. it's not up to him to say like to carry that that yeah. burden. And I think that's yeah. such an interesting, you know, viewpoint because a lot of people do have yeah. that viewpoint, and yeah. understandably so, and people carry it gladly. But he wants to break free of that, and I think he's pushing for that future where Salvadorans yeah. no longer have to do that. 
I respect that too, because I get where people are coming from with that, especially as an artist or like a comedian. I think it's just about like being able to do work that's still impactful and important, but isn't necessarily like, like you said, the representation of a disability, because honestly, that's, it's a lot, it's a lot of pressure. And I understand why people shy away from it. Um, It kind of prefigures a future where maybe being Salvadoran isn't so inherently political. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that is worth striving for as well, you know, all at the same time as we're all doing our things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, His full name, by the way, is Julio Torres. Wait, he's Salvadoran? Yeah, yeah, he's Salvadoran. Oh my God. Yeah. He's hol- he was like my favorite on that show. He was so funny. <laughs> he was. He was so uh, good. His his humor is so like ethereal. Like it's so yeah. like dreamy. Like it's it's like um, and it's so interesting because I feel like I kind of have a similar humor sometimes. Or when people are like, "What are you talking about? That doesn't make sense." It just feels very uh giving personalities to everyday objects and creating these whole lives <laughs> and like for them and personalities i think it's just so hilarious because who hasn't done that right um mm-hmm. but the way he does it he he just takes you to like another level he just um makes it like a dream-like area dream-like space that you enter with them and you know participate in this kind of like uh i don't know i don't know how to call it play but yeah, yeah, he's really awesome. Um, and hopefully I'll, I'll I'll be able to get him on one day because I think he would definitely be an awesome interviewee. Yeah. Oh my God. So that's amazing. Did you see his interview that he did with Z-Way? Um, how long? Maybe. I don't know. It I've was... seen what he did with Fred Armisen. Okay. So he he did an interview with Z-Way and he, he just cracked me up so much because he... <laughs> He just made a joke about how living in the U.S. is like every day you forget to fill out a like mundane piece of paperwork, but actually it's the most consequential thing ever. And like every single day that passes, you're just (laughs) fucking yourself over more. (laughs) Um, I see. And I love that. And I like, yes, Yes. just claps for Julio Torres, basically. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, he's awesome. He's awesome. He's really cool. And um, the fact that he's here in New York is doubly cool yeah um but we'll see yeah so what would you say is your ultimate goal for the podcast that's a big question it's a hard question um let's say i won the lottery tomorrow right and i had no limitations on resources my ultimate dream idea would be to create a small media company like a small kind of content creation um you know, multiple podcasts and and videos and kind of run the gamut between long form interviews to deep, you know, research kind of interviews like videos, videos about history, videos about just the whole thing, you know, just kind of like we'd love to have a space where we can have a single, not single source, but like a, a big source of information about Salvadorans and Salvadoraness. Um, you know, because there's so many, so much stuff out there, like I can't cover it all. Like I wish I had the time and the resources. I, I just don't. Um, so that would be like my ultimate dream goal. But more realistically speaking, um, I no, would I love, love that. Not more realistically speaking, <laughs> yes, let's accomplish that. Let's do it. No, yeah, yeah I, 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 you know, I'm honestly, I don't think it's that far off. It, yes! It's just gonna take work. It's just gonna yeah. take work. That's yeah. that's all it is. And I think, I think that's what um trips a lot of people up. A lot of people have these ideas and they want it to be ready the next day. And I think school kind of teaches you 
these bad habits of like, oh, in a week, you'll understand this. Or even in a semester, now you're an expert in this class or in this topic. And adult life, your life is not like that. It takes a long time to accomplish something. Like it took yeah. me months to publish my first episode. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's going to take some time to get to that point. But I think we can do it. Having met you, maybe forming a collective of other content creators, we can get yeah. there faster. And I think that's one of the sad things I've also seen online. It's very like, content creation or, or influencers are all about individualism and yeah i see a lack of community and it's really disheartening but i think that's going to change as well I, I feel like seeing what can be accomplished i've seen like more collaborations now than ever and maybe we just have more access to people or something but i've seen yeah. like more people working together to do this event or that event to put on this thing or that thing or like look at what we're doing here right now yeah right? like three years ago this wouldn't have happened um mm -hmm. But yeah, hopefully one day we'll see that, you know, I would love to see something like what's a BuzzFeed or We Are mm -hmm. Me Do, but like mm -hmm. focused around. And I say Salvadorans, um, I know I'm saying I'm focusing on Salvador a lot, but I'm honestly like I know so little about Central America yeah. that I just stick to what I know. And mm -hmm. it's not much that I know about El Salvador, but that's what I know the most of. But yeah, it'd be yeah. awesome to expand, absolutely expand it out to all of Central America. For sure. For sure. Yeah, because there's so many connections that we have because borders exists but actually like people cross borders all the time and like for like my grandma for example is born in Guatemala technically but grew up in Salvador and I know a lot of people have cross-country Central American connections and I think there's a lot of shared history there that makes it worth using Central American as a way to organize ourselves. I think that's amazing like yes I think we should have that. I'm with you I'm I'm fighting for a future like that as well. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll get it together. You know, like they say, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are all the questions that I had, Carlos. Um, was there anything that we didn't touch on? No, I don't think. Um, I think we touched on everything we wanted to talk about. I am working on, I know, season three of Sabi's Needles podcast ended yes. in June. So I am working on season four. I decided to take a long break this time. Um, yeah. Usually I take just a two month break between seasons. When I'm on break, I'm not really on break. I'm like researching, you know, yeah. um, podcast methods, sound reporting methods, you know, expanding my knowledge of video editing, audio editing, like all that stuff. Um, stuff yeah. I don't have time to do during a regular season. But this time I decided to take a little bit of time for myself and explore some personal passion stuff but i think i'm I'm ready to get started again on season four and i've got a short list of interviewees guests i'd like to have on and that'll continue to grow and you know the research starts now so maybe this can be the first like kind of preview episode this collaboration episode of season four but um yeah season four is coming hopefully i can get it published sometime in the spring of 2023 and yeah so look forward to that Awesome. Where can people find your work? We are on Instagram, Savis Unidos NYC. Um, we're also on Twitter, although Instagram is our primary social media space. Mm -hmm. We're also on Facebook, but again, Instagram is just the best place to find us and reach us. There's also a website, SavisUnidos.com. There's where you can find all the show notes for each episode of the show. And you can download our podcasts from, I think, most major podcast places. So. Apple Podcasts, of course, um, you can find mm -hmm. it on Spotify, Stitcher, and I think a few other providers. If you're in tune any of those, you can find us. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. And I had a really great time discussing Salvadorans podcasting.
Yes, likewise. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been, I was so excited to find other Central American people out there making podcasts, doing great work. And I hope we find many more of us in the future. And I hope to work together with you again in the future as well. Um, I like to put it out there, actually, for anyone listening to this who is Central American or Salvadoran, or even not, you know, I like to include everybody in it. I've interviewed people that are not Salvadoran at all, but have some connection to El Salvador. Mm. If you're anybody, the way I like to put it, if you have love for El Salvador, then you're welcome. <laughs> you know, yes. come in. We need more love for El Salvador, for absolutely, sure. from all spaces. So if you're out there and you want to, like, collaborate or you have a great idea, absolutely, I'm open to working together. And it'll take work, that's for sure. But I'm looking forward to a big kind of space where Salvadorans or Central Americans just get in there and work and create amazing things. So definitely yeah. reach out. All right. I love that. I hope the Cachimbonas enjoyed this interview. Thank you, Carlos. Bye, everybody.